And so this morning, I, w- I want to come back in one last turn and give you number eight for the series in bloom. And this one is called Seize Your Moment. Set with me. Seize your moment. Look at your neighbor and tell him right now. Say, seize your moment. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1, 10, and 11. The Bible says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Verse 10 says, I have seen the burden God has placed on us all. 11 says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for what? For its own time. He has planted, say it. Come on, he's planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. One thing I want to bring this morning, as I always do, this is just kind of my style of bringing a message And that is to give you one thought that gets woven through this thing like like a plaid that always has a dominant color. And so this is in the warp and the woof of the fabric. This, This thread is woven through over and over so this stands out. And the one thing is this. One God moment can restore what it took years to lose. Oh, if you'll help me this morning, I'm going to preach this from my toenails up. Because if anybody in the room has gone through a season where you have lost, I know what it means to lose and then see God be able to bring me back to a place where I'm not numb and I can breathe again. And where I feel like I've got some hope up in front of me. And I feel like I've got some faith down on the inside of me. And so I want you to know that one God moment can restore what it took you years to lose. Point number one. Life is hard. My perspective is critical. Life is hard. My Perspective is critical. Listen to the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. If if you don't remember, Habakkuk is a post-exile prophet. Actually, I'm sorry, he's a he is during the exile, and he's asking the question. When you read those three short chapters, he is he is consumed with why and how long. Why, God, has this happened to us and where are you? And how long are we going to have to endure what we are going through? And so he comes with a message of faith that gives us a perspective when life is hard. Everybody say, why? How many of you ever asked that question in your life? Why has this happened to me? And then you've been in the middle of circumstances and you say, how long? Am I going to have to endure this? Those were Habakkuk's two questions. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. He says, even though, say those two words with me, even though, even though the fig tree trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields, And the cattle barns are empty. How many of you see a pretty bleak picture that's being painted here? Pastor Haley talked last week about 
crop failure in the house falling because of bad choices that we make and we don't prepare properly and we, we have to realize that storms coming in our lives are not if but they're when. And so we have to prepare properly so that when the rains fall and the floods rise and the winds blow that we have the ability to withstand. Because when the storm comes, it doesn't do anything except reveal how you have built up to that point. If you have built your life with architectural integrity, a la the cornerstone being Jesus Christ, and you've built your life upon the principles of God's Word, and you've not built with wood, hay, and stubble, but you've built with gold and silver and precious stones, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Then when you go through the fire, when you go through the floods, you don't have to worry because you know your house will stand. It may vibrate a little bit and shake during the earthquake. It, it may get a little bit of moisture in it when the flood rises, but you know that when the floods, uh, 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 <coughs> the abatement of all of that stuff, and it goes away, you know that you've got a house that has still stood firm because it has been built solidly on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody give the Lord praise. Sometimes we plant crops and they don't grow. I, I got my garden in late this year, and finally all eight raised beds have sprouts that are coming up. I've got tomatoes that are growing on the vine. I've got a bunch of squash plants and zucchini plants. And, and, the, and some of these things have just broken through the soil because it was so rainy and I was so busy and I just couldn't get everything ready to get it done. And so it's exciting to finally see those things come through because early on waiting... And it's been so crazy hot and then trying to water it. And, and some of those things, I have a whole one of those four by eight by two feet high uh, deep beds is nothing but herbs. It's thyme and rosemary and it's uh, basil and sage and, and, and um, uh, just a number of different kinds of herbs. Because I've been, since dawn past, been trying to learn how to cook. And I want to do something besides salt it because I, 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 I want to keep my blood pressure under control. How many know what I'm talking about? And I, the older you get, the, you need, you're, I'm more interested in flavor than anything at this point. And so I'm just trying new things. I, just, I like to experiment. I, I, I think a real kingdom man is willing to try anything once. Doesn't mean you have to look back at it, but no, don't, no it's not for me. And, and I always, I'm always interested in going to lunch with people to see if they're willing to try anything new because that's the real mark of an adventurous spirit and someone who has faith and willing to step out with a little bit of risk. Somebody say Amen. You planted, and there's nothing growing in the fields. I remember a few days ago, I was wondering, is any of this even going to come up? And I know it's late. It's going to be, I'm going to be bearing fruit late in the season because this is the end of July, but that's okay. I just like to watch things grow. There'll be some of it. I'll get some fruit out of it and be able to eat it, and I'll probably I'm going to have more, and it'd be a blessing folks with some whole lot more than I can ever eat. But I like to watch the stuff grow. And when you're just sitting there and there's a completely empty bed and nothing's growing, I'm always concerned about, did I plant that too deeply? You know, because if you don't do that right, some stuff is you just barely cover it. Others, it's, I mean, it's like a quarter of inch deep. Others, it's like about an inch deep. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, did I do that correctly? And I, so I'm, I'm always grateful when I start to see every one of those beds have green in it and the little lines, the design that I put in for those different boxes are starting to appear and that's exciting to see that happen but when you've poured your life out and, and you've made investments in something that's supposed to be your livelihood and 
Your flocks are laying out there in the field dead with flies gathering around them. All your crops have failed. There's no grapes on the vine. There's no figs on the fig trees. Habakkuk says, even though, and he starts to state all of these areas where normally the blessing of God brings superabundance into the lives of the Israelites. And he says, even though this is the case and things look bleak, he says in verse 18, yet, everybody say yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in the God of my salvation, because he says, the sovereign Lord is my strength, he makes me sure-footed as a deer. King James says he makes my feet like hinds feet, H-I-N-D-S. It's a certain kind of mountain deer that literally can, can almost scale. You know, to say a 90-degree surface is ridiculous, but I mean it can scale something that it has a very steep terrain to it because it has the ability with these feet and those back hooves to be able to just literally gallop up the mountain. And so Habakkuk is saying, in the middle of all of this, I'm going to not focus on what's missing, but I'm going to be grateful for what I do have, and that is the strength of the sovereign Lord. I make a decision, and y'all, this is what I, this was a critical verse for me after Dawn died. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. And from that, I began to establish the habit where I would wake up every morning and I, my eyes would pop open and laying in the bed and I would look up and I'd say, Father, today I choose joy because Jesus is my joy. I choose Jesus. And I would throw back the covers and my feet would hit the floor and within a few moments I'd have the bed made so I wouldn't be tempted to get back into it. You know that story. He told that back earlier in the year. But what I want you to see is that in the, in the middle of difficult times, every one of us face hard circumstances because if you live long enough, you're going to have some disappointments because we make plans and then life happens. If you know what I'm talking about, say amen. And so sometimes the, the outcome is so bad that you can just about become despondent. You can enter into a, a kind of a depression because of the, 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 the amount of weight of what you're having to face, because reality is so different from what you had pictured. From, from the imagination of faith in seeing a family thrive, or a marriage growing and blessed, or a business flourishing, and then everything about it at this season in your life that you're going through, it's all on the rocks. It's all... It's all waning, it's all perishing, it's, it's, it's captivated by a spirit of scarcity. And in moments like that is when you have to lean into what Habakkuk says. In the middle of all of this, yet, yet, in spite of, yet, I will rejoice. There's, there's something that is not dependent on what you're seeing that you lean into and you say, you know what, in spite of what my eye sees, there's a, there are dead flocks in the field. There, there are no green sprouts coming up out of the ground. I don't understand what's going on in my life, but I make the decision. No, I don't feel like it, but yet I will rejoice in the Lord because the sovereign Lord is my strength. And it's when I find that place of leaning into Him and determining that I'm going to be joyful and instead of choosing depression and being sad or mad, I choose to say, God, I'm going to be glad in Your presence 
That's when he makes my feet like hinds feet. So I can climb up out of the valley of despair and I can ascend the heights of the mountain or the obstacle or the problem that I'm facing. Are you seeing what I'm saying to you this morning? Life is hard. My perspective is critical. You know, people who captain sailboats who ride around the whole world on the high seas and learn the art of being able to utilize a sail, even not only when winds are blowing with you, but when winds of opposition are blowing against you, someone who has learned the art of sailing has the ability to be able to tack along the shore and actually use a contrary wind to their advantage. The, the sailboats give us this beautiful picture of how I can alter how I'm responding to the wind and how it will actually begin to advance me instead of pushing me backward in what I'm pursuing. I, I bought a new camera recently for myself. I've gone for years and just been an iPhone camera person. In all the travels that I've done, I, I've, I'm trying to develop an eye to be able to take interesting photos with uh, a perspective. And so I decided I'm going to take the plunge. I want to get something good. And so I, I bought a Nikon. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't spend crazy money. I, I got a, a wonderful deal. I was so blessed at Best Buy. And just the, the time that I actually went to go buy it, uh, they had this phenomenal sale for this excellent professional-level camera. And just that week alone, that week only, uh, if I bought the whole package, then I got a, another $300 extended lens and a camera bag, and all of this thrown in uh, at the price of the camera alone regularly was $399. And so for that week, I got a $300 lens added to it and a camera bag and a couple of other things. And so I felt, walked out of there with about $900 worth of stuff for $399. I thought, this is awesome. So I took it with me to my last trip to New York, and I, uh, I, I'm interested in, in doors. I always like these amazing wooden doors and how people's brownstone apartments look with the doors in front of them or, or big, huge mansions and these amazing wood-carved doors or, or gorgeous churches underneath the, the limestone carved facing and then the doors that are there. And so I'm always interested in doors because a door is a spiritual thing. It's an entrance into an opportunity. And I'm always taking pictures of different doors because I, I just I, I like the idea with that. And, and, and bridges, I was, I was taking pictures of the Williamsburg Bridge and of, of uh, the Brooklyn Bridge and then over here at Hernando de Soto and, and just putting some things together because the, the bridge makes the M and I'm, I'm trying to design something for my family, a little gift where I spell the word Smith, every letter of it was an architectural thing on a building or uh, a particular element or a bridge or a door or something that's to spell the words S-M-I-T-H to give them as a gift. And using things in Dallas-Fort Worth for Holly and using things, Holly and Drew, and things in New York City for Abby, but all connecting it back to something that is in Memphis, which is their home. And in the middle of all of this, it's like the Lord spoke to me, and I'm, 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 I'm trying to learn how to see angles, and I'm trying to learn how to develop perspective. And, and the, the camera comes with the ability to just do its own autofocus, 
but you know, you can always take a great picture, but I want to be able to learn how to do it myself and how to catch the eye and how to see it. And so I'm looking at something and I'm realizing that nothing about this scene is changing whatsoever and there's something blocking me and so I'm going to have to change how I'm looking at it. And so when I change my position and I alter my perspective and I adjust my lens, all of a sudden everything comes into this amazingly clear, sharp focus and I see this thing that I'm trying to take a picture of in entirely different light and now the obstacle is out of the way. And I, I've got a, this is a metaphor. I'm trying to give you a little parable here because I'm in New York City and I'm snapping these pictures. And moments like that, the Holy Spirit uses in my life to, to give me a teachable moment. And, and it's like he's whispering into me. He, he, he's saying, there's an obstacle, but your perspective is everything. How you see it, how you adjust the lens of your eyesight, where is your faith in the middle of this whole thing? And, and, and if you want to lean into the sailboat illustration on the opposing winds and learning how to be able to use those in your favor or you want to use the camera, we're both saying the exact same thing. Life is hard. Say it with me. Life is hard, but my perspective is critical. Point number two. Are you getting anything out of this? Point number two. From the scripture, uh, okay, yeah, I forgot that. Joel chapter 2, and I'm not going to take time to go over there and read because there's too many scriptures, but Joel chapter 2, there has been this overwhelming deluge of locusts. And the prophet Joel is called the Pentecostal prophet because he prophesies about the Spirit of the Lord being poured out in the last days upon his sons and his daughters. And he says, upon the handmaidens of the Lord, they shall prophesy. That's men and women, both having authority to speak the word of the Lord. And so the, the one thing that I want to say to you is that even in the middle of all of this loss and the, the deluge of what Joel calls the, the army of the Lord, the locusts that come through in all the various stages and what, what the caterpillar didn't eat, the palmer worm ate, and what the palmer worm didn't eat, then the full-grown locust ate, and it was just stages of complete destruction. And God says, if you will repent, if you will turn to me while there is still time, he says, if you will turn to me, and I, I remember growing up and my mama used to say, rend your heart and not your garments. And I would always think that was such a weird thing to say. And it's, a, it's an Old Testament King James Joel quotation where Joel says, don't go through all this show of motions of pulling your garments and ripping them and not mean it in your heart. Repentance may be an outward act, but it is especially an inward work of the Spirit. And if you haven't had the inward work... The outward act is just a show. And mama would always look at us as the family and she'd say, well, rend your heart and not your garments. And she was being sarcastic. In other words, show me by your actions. I don't care about all your talk and all your big drama. Everybody say, rend your heart and not your garments. Don't tear at some kind of show, but tear your heart open before the Lord and let him turn you back to him. Let him change you. And then the scripture says in Joel, when you do that, he will restore all of those years that have been destroyed and eaten up in your life. Some of you are in places right now where you wonder if there's even any opportunity to rebuild what's been lost, trust that's been destroyed, relationships. Some of them just need to end. That's the truth. You know, when, when betrayal has been so deep, when, when destructive things, when deception, when manipulation is discovered, yes, forgive, but it takes time to rebuild trust. 
And sometimes you just have to back up and go, you know, this is not for me. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying this morning? And he says, he said, I will, he says, there'll come a time when there'll be grapes back on the vine, there'll be figs back on the trees, there'll be crops in the field, there'll be cattle in the stalls, he says. And he says, I will restore to you the years that all of these worms and caterpillars and locusts and everything have eaten, and I will bring it all back to you, and you will rejoice before me, says the Lord. How many of you know that's possible? Somebody say amen. All right, point number two. This is what I want you to see. One God moment can restore what it took years to lose. One God moment can restore what it took years to lose. There are two kinds of time. Two kinds of time. The Greek gives us these two words, chronos and kairos. Now, we normally see chronos, chronology, with a ch, but there is no ch in Greek. It's just kappa, the, the Greek letter kappa, k. That's the transliteration. We call it the letter k. Greeks call it the letter kappa, okay? And so it is chronos with a k, or it's kairos with a k, and chronos time is linear chronological. It is all of those passages when you read through the Bible and you skip because it says, so-and-so beget so-and-so, and so-and-so beget so-and-so. It's a, it's a generational progression. It's a linear development. First we did, then we went, then we did. And so what you're doing is you're, you're marking time. You're showing over a period how things uh, turn to a different direction. Kronos is the fact that we started this service with a countdown clock, and we began it at 9.00, and we're focused we have something we want to accomplish and we don't want to take all day to do it because we've realized that sometimes your, your, your mind can absorb a lot more than your seat can stand. How you know what I'm talking about? This is being said by a Pentecostal who used to go to five-hour services as a kid. Let me just tell you, I've had all of that I want. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Now, how, now, how many of you know the Spirit of the Lord is moving and, and He drops something in this place and, and the seeds of revival are planted? That's one thing. But just to, to manipulate people and draw it out on and on and on and on, I have, I have no room, no time for that. I don't want it. I, I believe that the Spirit of God is expeditious. I believe He can do what He needs to do. I believe we can say what needs to be said and it doesn't have to take all day long. Now, so we, we understand chronos. I have something on my arm right here that... Is, is showing me chronos, the linear development. It's, it, is, it is a little bit past 20 minutes till 10 on Sunday morning. And so I'm focused. Chronos time helps me to, to keep focused because I want to conclude. I have a deadline. I, have, I want to accomplish something. And I'm going to do it twice this morning. And so, so chronos is what we mark our lives by. I don't know if you know this or not. I'm going to pause for a little brief history lesson but we never did have time zones until the Industrial Revolution. When railroads began to cross the United States of America and people would ship products from Pittsburgh to Dallas and from Dallas to San Francisco, they had to have a way to be able to confirm to people what time the train would arrive so those that were on a passenger train would be able to board it on time and then be able to leave on time. And so it's in the 1800s when we actually developed the concept of time zones, 24 hours around the whole globe. And we developed the idea of, 
of Eastern Standard Time and Central and Mountain and Pacific Coast Time, Pacific Standard Time, and then we threw in this whole thing to confuse everybody, Daylight Savings Time, which I love. I like to have as much daylight as I can, and I think even Congress here recently, a few years back, extended it so that we started it a month earlier and held it a month later. So it starts in March and it goes through November. And then the older I get, I realize the bigger a struggle it is to get my own internal body clock reset after they change it to the point that I'm nearly in a cuss going, why don't they leave it alone? <laughs> now, all of you little young whippersnappers, you don't know what I'm talking about yet, but when you had 58 years of getting up and getting in the Word early in the morning and drinking a cup of coffee, and, and then somebody all of a sudden alters the whole clock that everybody else is operating by, and it, it throws a, a, a wrench into the machinery. Say amen if you know what I'm talking about. And so we're all captivated by Kronos. We punch the clock. We, we, we expect that we're going to be back from vacation at the end of this week because we have to report to work. So so minutes become hours, become days, become weeks, become months, and it's all chronos time. But in the Bible, there's another kind of time, and it's the word kairos. And, and kairos is a, an appointed time. It's a special moment, and I, I want you to see it right here. They give you a pronunciation, kairos. Pronounce, the, the plural is kairoi. The definition of kairos is a time when conditions are right for the accomplishment of a crucial action. It's the opportune and decisive moment. A kairos moment is a prophetic moment where God opens a window, and in that moment of time, what took years of chronos to destroy, God can, when you respond in faith, restore everything that you had lost in those years in a kairos moment. The Bible talks about the appointed time or the right time. As a matter of fact, one that we use for harvest is Galatians 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 9. It says, do not be weary in doing good, for at just the right time you will reap a harvest of blessing if you do not quit. And literally, right time in the Greek is the word kairos. There is a specific moment when God will impregnate prophetically injects into an opportunity for you that can change everything. And so this is what I want you to see. With a kairos moment in time, it's critical that our hearts are open and ready to receive and we're hearing the word of the Lord and we're responding in faith. Say amen if you understand what I just said. Point number three, and let me begin to wrap this up. I want to talk for just a few moments about the intersection of time and eternity. Time and eternity. And I've got some brothers that are about to come out here on the stage to help me do a little bit of an illustrated sermon. I don't want to break your concentration, but as they gather, just listen. Jesus went with him and followed. People followed, crowding around him. Uh, let me go back. Give me, give me verse 21. That's it, yes. Jesus got into the boat again. Good-looking crew up here. Jesus got in the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. 
Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. This is where we were as I began to read. And I want you to see we've got a throng up here. We've got Jesus. Since Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. Everybody say 12 years. King James says an issue of blood. I don't want to be crass. This is her menstrual cycle. I don't understand. No, no, no man in the, in the room does. Ladies, you endure physical issues that we don't even know anything about. And I can't even imagine having this for 12 years, and it doesn't stop. And the story goes on to say that she'd suffered a great deal from many doctors. Over the years, she had spent everything that she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. And so I want you to recognize that according to Old Testament law, she's not even supposed to be out in public. And because of the condition, the ailment, the sickness, the malaise, the extended amount of weakness that she's enduring because of being anemic, I'm certain... I mean, there's some things you can just assume, and I think are correct to assume. And she's enduring all of that, and she's weak, and she's risking her life because she's going to go out into a crowd where she is obligated ceremonially from the law of the Old Covenant to cry unclean and cover herself because she's not supposed to be in public or come into contact with people. But the Bible says in verse 27, she had heard about Jesus. Come on, how many of you are thankful when somebody tells you about Jesus? She'd heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, and for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she'd been healed of the terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, now, I'm going to just put the Smith translation in here. Dude, are you outside your mind? Look at this crowd around you. Look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Now, I want you, I know this is going to be hard for you, but I want you to pretend that I'm the little woman with the issue of blood. That's your assignment. Can you do it? Look at your neighbor and say him right now. Say, neighbor, that's a little woman with the issue of blood. One more thing. Say, I know it's hard, but try your best. And so... I've been suffering, I ain't got nothing left in my savings account, and I hear about Jesus. And you know that there's a level of weakness that I'm having to endure. And I, I've been on my feet already for a while, and there's no way that I can get to Jesus in my state of weakness because he's thronged on every side, and everybody's around him trying to get to a place where they can touch him, and they are... They're not letting me in. And they, they, there's some people that have an idea. They know that I shouldn't even be out there. And, and, and they're not going to let me get anywhere near Jesus. And, 
and I'm weak and I'm sickly and I'm afflicted and so I, I quit trying to do it that way and I tell you what, I'm going to get pretty innovative because I'm going to do everything I can because I know this is my Kairos moment and I'm going to have to figure out a way that I'm going to be able to get a hold of the hem of Jesus' garment and I'm going to find a way that I can move myself around through that oh yes <laughs> well who touched the hem of my robe Jesus oh I'm, I'm sorry Jesus Hispanic Jesus <laughs> when you said you were little you use an ugly woman but I love you <laughs> who touched the hem of my robe I touched you I touched you Jesus I felt the power depart from me Let's give them a hand. Come on. <laughs> the point is, is that when your moment comes, you need to take on a whole new perspective that you're willing to do everything that it takes you to do to get a hold of the hem of Jesus' garment. What was so special about the hem of Jesus' garment? Well, it was an understanding of the picture of the high priest, the great high priest of the Old Testament. Because the high priest had decorative, special clothing that he would put on every year as he would go into the holiest place of all. And, and there was a hem, there was a border around his garment that he would wear. And, and there was a, a pomegranate and a bell and 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 dot, 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 all the way around the whole hem of his garment. The high priest wore this little kind of a, a jangling. You could hear the, the bells tinkling, ringing. And you could see the fruit hanging. And I wonder what you to see this morning is that Jesus is the fulfillment of that Old Testament high priest who has both the fruit or the character and the nature of God in his life. But he also has the sound of freedom, the bell that indicates the power of God and the ability to bring release to your life. And there are churches that will only preach fruit and God's character and tell you the power is not for today. And there are churches that will preach the power of God and minimize the fruit. And I'm telling you, it's going to take a ministry. It's going to take Jesus walking in a local church and a people that are connected to and touching both the fruit and the bell. Because there's a generation of people out there that are hurting and they've spent everything they had trying to put their marriage back together and make a business work and raise some kids that they can keep out of jail. Trying to put a business together that doesn't fail. Creation is groaning. They're like the Greeks in John 12 that come to Jesus and they say, Sir, or they come to Philip, the disciple of Jesus, and they say, Sir, we would see Jesus. Show us Jesus. And that's still the request of the nations of the earth. The nations that live right here in the Delta are saying, I don't want to see religion. I want to see Jesus. I want to see people that are not pious, but I want to see people that are real. People that struggle, people that have had a, a, a crop failure or two, but they've learned how to say, yet will I rejoice in the Lord my God. And it's in those pregnant moments of expectation that we have to demonstrate to people that we seize the moment when God opens the prophetic window.
Can you imagine being on the dirty ground and the sweaty, hairy legs and the smelly, dirty feet that that sweet little lady had to crawl through? And the risk of the reach? Because she could have been stoned. But how many of you know when you finally wake up and realize that you ain't got nothing to lose and you quit carrying what everybody else, you quit caring what everybody else thinks about you and you say, God, I'm going to lean into you with everything that I've got and I'm going to seek your face and I ask you to rebuild my marriage. I ask you, oh God, to rebuild my home, rebuild my business, rebuild my integrity, rebuild my character, oh God. Take my life. It's in that moment where God opens the windows of heaven and gives you a kairos. And he says, seize this moment in faith. Because everything that's taken years for you to lose, one God moment can restore what years have taken and destroyed from your life. I don't have time to conclude the rest of the story in the passage where it talks about messengers came to tell them that Jairus' daughter had died. Sometimes it's real easy to be seeking God about my circumstance and then all of a sudden get interrupted because I see God move in somebody else's life and he heals that little woman with the issue of blood and I go, God, if you'd have just gone ahead and come on to my house and shown up, my baby girl wouldn't have died. Jesus turned around at that moment. I'm not going to read it, but I'll just tell you the story. And he said, just hang on. Don't pay any attention to them. I'm going to the house with you. And he got there, and the professional mourners were already busy, and he kicked them all out. Everybody get out of this house. He said, the, the girl is not dead. She's just sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn. They made fun of him. He walks in there and takes her by the hand, and he says, Talithi Kum, little girl, arise. Get up. Get up, baby girl. And she got up brings them to his dad, to her dad, to her parents, and says, give her something to eat. My last scripture, and I'm finished this morning, Psalm chapter 14, verse 2. This one slammed me this week. This one grabbed me hard. Psalm 14, verse 2 in the message, it says, God sticks his head out of heaven. He looks around. He's looking for someone not stupid. I love that. He's looking for someone not stupid. One man. Even God expectant. Say God expectant. One God expectant man. Or just one God ready woman. I don't know what you're wrestling with this morning. I don't know what you're facing but I want to tell you, I know one who does, and he's just looking out of heaven. He's sticking his head out of heaven right now, looking down into the congregation at Victory Church on July 21st at about two minutes till 10 a.m., and he's saying, is there anybody in the room not stupid? Is there anybody that is just a little bit God-expectant? Are, are you looking to me because you know I can in one God moment restore everything it took you years to lose? Is, is, there, is there one God-ready woman? Is, is there a woman with an issue of blood? Is there a woman plagued with something that has robbed you of all of your savings and, and put you in a place of complete, total rejection? Are you able to just rec recognize you don't have anything to lose and just lean into Jesus with all you've got? Because he says, that's what I'm looking for. 
one man, even God expectant, just one God ready woman. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 in the New Living Translation says, As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, everybody say kairos. At just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, Kairos is now. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of your salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Right now in this moment, it's pregnant with expectation. A window of heaven has been opened. And you're sitting here in a moment where all you have to do is reach out in faith and say, Father, I believe. I lay hold of your promise. I seize my moment. If you've never crossed the line of faith, Jesus Christ is leaning into you this morning and he's tapping you on the shoulder and he says, I love you with an everlasting love. There's not anything you can do to make me love you any more than I already do. There's nothing you did this morning or yesterday or last week that can make me love you any less than I already love you. But I love you so much, I don't want to leave you in that pattern of destruction. I don't want to leave you in that pattern of loss. Choices have been made. Crops have failed. Houses have crashed. But there's always hope when you lean into God because God is our very present help. And hope, he's, a, he, he, he's hoping in the time of trouble. He's protection in our time of need. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. As we sit this morning in his presence and close this service, remember that one God moment can restore what it took you years to lose. This is your Kairos moment. God has brought you through Kronos to this very place. It's not an accident you're here. Some of, somebody's here this morning. It's the first time you've ever been here. And you're hearing a kind of hope injected into your heart that you didn't know was possible, that God is reaching to you and is saying, I can return to you what it took you years to lose if you will just put your trust in me, says the Lord. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. Heavenly Father, we look to you in this place. We desperately need you. None of us, no, not one, is good enough. None seek you. There are none righteous. We're grateful today that while we were yet sinners at just the right time, in the Kairos moment, Christ died for us. Thank you today that as we lean into that, your Bible says, your word says, that if we'll just hear this story and believe it in our heart and confess Jesus as Lord with our mouth, that we'll be saved. Very simply, heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around the, the room.